Oh, hey, I'm glad you're here. It has come to my attention that some listeners think I'm only into horror occult movies, but I'll have you know that I watch a fair amount of action films as well. And I know, when action movies are discussed, it's easy to imagine bro-centric sausage parties where dudes are high-fiving each other over breasts or are trying to outflex each other. You don't normally picture a tiny pale goth dad in a floral print shirt, but here I am. And I'm willing to bet there are all types of people who enjoy the action genre with all its different flavors. Me? I like it strange. I like to have moments where I go, well, I've never seen that before. And that is precisely what we're going to discuss in this episode. Also, if you're new here, we talk about the entire film. So if you want the experience of watching it first, then go do that. So let's get right to it. The film is Savage from 1996. The guest is the host of Action Addicts Podcast, and this is VHS Presents New Releases and Late Returns. Hello, and welcome to VHS Presents New Releases and Late Returns. This is our casual chat format where we first champion what is currently bringing us joy from the realms of entertainment before a look back at a lesser seen gem. I'm your host, Dirk Marshall, and I hope you'll find us on Twitter and Instagram at VHUS underscore podcast and on Letterboxd. I'm Dirk Marshall, and I swear I'm going to get better at that. My guest for this episode is Scott Wiley, host of Action Addicts Podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Now, for listeners, can you please tell everyone what Action Addicts podcast is? Sure. It is a podcast that covers action films, which a lot of people might be picturing one very specific thing. Don't. My definition of action is very broad. We don't cover just the 80s, for example. We don't cover just muscle heroes. We don't cover just kung fu films. We cover everything. We've done everything from Japanese films to the classic Hong Kong stuff, stuff that came out today, stuff that came out 50 years ago. And just recently, we covered Indian cinema. I very much champion that action is for everyone, to borrow another friend podcast (laughs) phrase. But it's just one of those things that I grew up with action films and I wanted to share that love for everybody else. And I started it at the beginning of this year and it's been going very well and a bit of a sad thing, but my granddad is the reason that I was really into action films. And unfortunately, as I was beginning to film the early episodes, he actually passed away. And it was always my intention to have him on the show as one of the guests, because the stuff he knew about the industry and action films, obviously he lived through all of it. He's forgotten more about it than most people will ever know, but unfortunately that's no longer an option. So I'm now kind of championing all the stuff that he put in my head. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. Before we get to the new releases, it's a new sort of tradition that we answer the big question, and these are listener-submitted questions. If you want to submit a question, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. I keep them in this little gel box here, and I'll just give it a little shake and see what we get. This one is from Admiral Beamish. I think that's on Twitter. He says, why do I love shot-on-video movies? I don't know. Do you watch any shot-on-video action movies? I have seen shot on video action movies. It's just, I don't know why you specifically love it, Admiral, but it's just one of those things. I think perhaps it has an appeal to a time that doesn't exist anymore. It looks different because that's not how things are shot now. And I think it can, if you grew up in that time period, it can make you nostalgic for simpler days. 
Yeah, I agree. I often find that things like shot on video, you feel connected to it because it feels approachable. There's not a huge team involved in making it. It's often whoever's not in the shot is holding the boom mic type of situation. Yeah. And and I think those are inspirational to a lot of people because they're like, hey, look at what these friends accomplished in an evening or a weekend, you know? Yeah, that's the big question. Which brings us to new releases. First, we're going to start off with print. Is there anything you're currently reading that you're enjoying? No, is the short answer. I'll be honest. I have many, many books that are on the go at all times, but I'm really bad at keeping up to date with them. So I've got this big pile in the other room of books, all with bookmarks in, and I need to pick one and just actually finish it. Same. I also do not have a book recommendation this week. I have a stack right here of things that I'm looking at, and I look at them, and then I don't open them. So I need to get better about doing <laughs> I have a giant book about Fulci called Beyond Terror that's beautiful. I just have yet to really dive into it. So we'll just move right on to music. Anything you're currently listening to? I mean, I listen to all sorts of music all the time. I don't really keep up to date with modern music. For example, I recently went and saw Bowling for Soup live in concert. Okay. I fell back down that rabbit hole of listening to them, of listening to Rammstein because they've got a new album out. And it was just sort of like my music taste has a specific time period. I still like uh, modern music, but if I just let, say, an algorithm pick music for me, it's going to find a way to go back to late 90s, early 2000s. (laughs) Yeah, I'm the same. I think for me, I've discovered and I've said this on the podcast, uh, 97 to like 99 is what I keep going back to for some reason. And so all of my recommendations are somewhat new versions of that. So first I have X Marks the Pedwalk has a new album called New End. They're like an electro-industrial kind of trance-leaning future pop group. They've been around forever. I used to listen to them in the 90s when they sounded like Skinny Puppy. Now they sound (laughs) more like like V&V Nation or something, but I love it. It's comfortable for me. So if that's your bag, check that out. Also, Fabric just put out a new compilation by T-S-H-A. I don't even know how to say that name. Um, It basically sounds like old Acid House from the late 80s, early 90s. It's super comfy for me. It reminds me of mixtapes when my friends got into DJing. So I recommend that. That's T-S-H-A is the DJ. I don't know how to say it. But that's a new Fabric compilation. just came out on Friday. And then the last one is Godflesh had an album called New Flesh in Dub Volume 1 basically dub metal and i love that stuff you know there's like drum machines droning guitars apparently someone like barks every once in a while i don't know i, I love that stuff so, um, <laughs> that, that that does sound pretty cool yeah just quickly then i should say that the name of ramstein's new album is zeit and it is out so yeah i have been listening to that obviously it's all in german i could argue it has a limited audience but they've never really had a problem with that It doesn't matter that no one has a clue half the time what they're saying. You just like the music. Yeah, it's true. They are a definite vibe for sure. And they always have been. Their ornate live shows and everything. They just, they go all in. It's really very impressive. Which brings us to games. I don't know if you play games, but any games you're enjoying? Yes, I do play games and I've been playing quite a lot. I've been slowly but surely making my way through Tiny Tina's Wonderland, which came out a month or two ago. My brother and I play a lot of co-op games together. My partner and I just started playing It Takes Two and the Lego Star Wars Skywalker Saga. So those are the three main games I've been playing. Any more than that, and I might get a headache. (laughs) That's a lot of variety there. 
I've still been trucking through Elden Ring. I love it. I hate it. It switches in a moment. And then I've been meaning to get the Tiny Tina. That's on my list. But I've been playing Rainbow Six Siege. Just put out a new map. So my friend JL and I were playing that last night. Still good after like six years. I don't understand how some games you can just keep playing them over and over and over and it doesn't get old. But that's one for sure. Oh, I lied, actually. There is a single-player game that I've been playing to death, and that is the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe Edition that just came out. I love the original Stanley Parable, and this new one was... Yeah, if you've never played it, find the Ultra Deluxe Edition. I would love to tell you what it's about if you don't know, but that's kind of the point of the game. If you don't know anything, that's the best way to experience it. I've never even heard of this game. Okay, so essentially, it's kind of called a walking simulator. That's kind of an unfair description essentially you work in an office you push buttons on a computer and then you go to work one day and all of your co-workers disappear so you leave your office to try and figure out where everybody's gone and there's a guy narrating what happens and the narrator tells you what to do but you don't necessarily have to do that and okay. that's as much as i'm gonna say but it's worth it for how much you get for the price it is it's not a 60 dollars game or anything sounds interesting i will definitely check that out which brings us to television. Anything you're watching episodic? Well, I just finished off Moon Knight. I also am about to start season two of The Legend of Korra. Um, my partner and I are about to finish Peaky Blinders. So yeah, there's a few television-esque things. What was your feeling on Moon Knight? I quite liked it overall. I'm familiar with the character from the comics and a few video games appearances that he's had. It's weird. I really like Moon Knight and I really like Oscar Isaac and I like Ethan Hawke. It's not that nothing didn't work for me, but I'm wondering if it's just superhero fatigue, but I don't know, man. I think I was just expecting more from a, a little bit of it. And it's weird because I see so many people raving about it, including like family members. And they're like, oh, it's the best MCU show ever. And it's like, well, I don't know, maybe it is, but that doesn't seem to be a very high bar. I don't know, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I You said fatigue. That's definitely what I felt for far too long, actually. At some point, I intend to watch it. But even last night when my friend was telling me about the new Doctor Strange movie, I could not listen. I, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I know that people are very excited and I love that. But I just, if anyone in a cape lately, I just can't do it. I don't know. So maybe I'll come around. We'll see. My wife's watching A Discovery of Witches. There's three seasons of it. She really likes it or at least watched all of it. Um, she finished it last night. Is a little bit much for me because some shows when they have vampires and witches and things, they try not to say it all the time because it sounds quite silly after a while. And in this, yeah, they go all in. Every sentence is like, well, the witches and the vampires. And I was like, okay. They keep saying blood rage over and over. I just couldn't take it seriously, but she thoroughly enjoyed it. So if you like witches, vampires, and an appearing island, there's an island that appears thousands of times. They really love this shot of an island appearing and they keep cutting to it. Check that out. That's on Amazon. Uh, which brings us to movies. Any movies you've watched lately? Wow. Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> oh, ouch. And literally the same day, we also went and saw the new Downton Abbey film, A New Era. Prior to that, I literally just finished something and my head is so all over the place that I can't even remember what it was. Obviously, I've watched a few movies recently because that's the joys of running a movie podcast and I just lose track. <laughs> yeah, I get it. So as someone who just saw it, what did you think of the new Doctor Strange directed by Sam Raimi? Oh, I loved it. Um, yeah. For me... The Sam Raimi DNA was all over it. His style really came through. 
it doesn't feel like a standard Marvel MCU movie, which I think is throwing a lot of MCU folks off, which is why they're kind of bouncing off it. And for some really weird reasons that I've seen going around, it's not like Evil Dead, though. You know, it's prepare your expectations appropriately. It's yeah. not going to suddenly turn into this massive horror film where things can people get ripped apart left, right and center. But if you like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, there's a lot of camera techniques that are familiar. There's certain scenes that are very reminiscent of Evil Dead, the way they were shot. And it's Sam Raimi. So it's a good story. It's just... I don't know. I think for some people, they're, I don't think it's necessarily fatigue. I think it's just that they've started to build up stuff that was never guaranteed to be in the film. And now that those things weren't in it, that disappointment has made them go, oh, it's a bad film. And it's like, oh, that's not really the film's fault. It didn't live up to the ridiculous levels of hype and rumors <laughs> that you've yeah. been listening to, you know? I heard that WandaVision fans would be kind of put off by this movie. See, that's the interesting thing. I've heard that too. And I liked WandaVision, wasn't so keen on the ending, but I liked the show. And I actually thought that this film did a really good job of, in my head, it kind of nullified and justified a lot of people's reaction to WandaVision, which is that in WandaVision, she wasn't really the good guy. And what she did, it's not really excusable. There's a lot of people that were like, this is more like what a villain would do than a hero. And yeah, this film kind of addresses that. And maybe that's why people don't like it, I think. I don't know. But it's kind of difficult to say more without spoilers. So I'm going to refrain. Sure, sure. I'm interested in seeing anything Sam Raimi does. I'll probably see it from home. But I do love hearing people talk about the Raimi-ness of it. And like you said, the camera work, um, camera movements. I did hear that there's some stuff in there that I won't mention because like you said, it's spoilerish, but it kind of reminded people of like Army of Darkness and things like that. So I, I love that. I look forward to seeing that one. I watched Ninja Assassin from 2009. Is that a fave of yours? Yeah, I haven't watched that for a long time, but I remember I watched that when that came out. I really liked that one. It didn't resonate with audiences at the time, but I think it's one of those films that has gained a cult following as the years have ticked on. Yeah, I completely forgot about it. I completely slept on it when it came out. And then this is why it's important. I tell people to champion the movies that you love because somebody on Twitter, and I did not, I don't remember who it was, but they posted a clip of the opening sequence and I was like, this looks amazing. I have to see this. And I thoroughly enjoyed Ninja Assassin. I highly recommend anyone who's interested in anything called Ninja Assassin to check it out because the gore and the blood is so fun. I mean, I just feel like they knew what they were making and they went for it. I feel like the fighting sequences are very fun. There's a knife on a chain thing that I think they made up for the movie. No, that is a legit weapon. Don't oh, ask it me its name. Because it's Japanese and I'm not even sure. going to attempt it because I'll butcher it. But um, it's actually, are you a fan of Mortal Kombat? Yeah, I've seen it. I mean, I've played it. <laughs> it's the same weapon that Scorpion uses in oh. that franchise, but obviously his is on a rope, depending on what version. Right. Yeah, regardless, I think it was really fun. And then the next one I wanted to mention is Catman in Boxer's Blow. This is from 1993. I'm a huge Godfrey Ho fan. You might notice the Crocodile Fury cover back here of Insanity. For anyone that doesn't know, he's a director that did over 100 movies. A lot of them have Ninja in the title. A lot of them are multiple films cut into one movie. So 
They're very strange. He has a bunch of aliases because a lot of what he was doing was borrowing things that may have may not have been legal. This film is, <laughs> is a superhero movie. It's the only superhero movie I own. It's a sequel to Catman and Lethal Track. It is mind boggling. A lot of it is just, I think, a film from China. These guys running around with guns. I'm not sure what the plot is. But when it gets to Catman, which is like a seven foot tall, I think, French white dude, he's insane. And he blocks bullets with his bracelets. And it's it's totally bonkers. You can find the end sequence on YouTube. And I recommend people do that because if you're not going to sit through the movie, you at least deserve to watch the total insanity that is the last 10 minutes. And then I watched Future Force and Future Zone. Are these favorites of yours? Future Force rings the bell. Don't think I've seen Future Zone. Remind me what Future Force is <laughs> before right. I answer so, that. It's a, they're both David Carradine films. He's got a robot arm glove thing that he can shoot off and it punches people. And he, it's really amazing. That's right. Future Zone's the sequel to Future Force. They're basically kind of the same movie. I love these quirky, weird 80s action movies. And the more futuristic, in quotes, uh, you can make it, the more I enjoy it, the more ridiculous it is. It's really close to an apocalypse film because all of society is broken down into this weird dystopian future of cops that hang out in a strip bar that's just for cops. It's very bizarre. But I just rewatched them. I recommend those for anyone interested in that. And the last one I'll mention is Mercenary which I just found last night. Would you, have you seen Mercenary? I have seen Mercenary. Okay. So it has John Ritter, which really surprised me, Robert Culp and Martin Cove, and then Olivier Gruner, or Gruner, as I always say. It's from 1996. It's from the same director of the movie we're about to talk about. It is crazy. John Ritter's wife gets killed, and so he hires an assassin to avenge her death. It's mind-boggling, but... It's also really watchable. And so I'm starting to think that maybe I'm a big fan of this director. I don't know, but I'll be watching more for sure. Nice. I just like it because it's got Martin Cove in it. And Martin Cove is a really underrated actor in my book. I'm very happy that now he seems to have gotten the recognition with Cobra Kai. Yes. There's so many good films he's been in. And he's such a good on-screen fighter. He's always been able to nail the acting, but he just never seemed to get that role after Karate Kid that actually allowed him to gain an audience you know yeah I agree he's got a cool swagger about him he just seems like he'd be a really cool dude and he can play evil or good he's kind of versatile in that way he's great evil though which means it's time for our late return to Savage from 1996 was this a first time watch for you Yes, yes. I'm familiar with Olivia Gruner, but I had never even heard of Savage until, obviously, we spoke on The Wonderful World of Twitter. Yes. And then I looked up the description and I thought, oh yeah, that's, that sounds like my bag. <laughs> and then I actually watched the film. I'm going to have to say, the, the term you used to describe this was, would you like to watch a weird action film? That's an understatement. Yeah, <laughs> right. I had never heard of this. I was up late. You know, when you go to the someone watch this, someone watch this rabbit hole of the internet when you're just going through stuff and it popped up and I didn't expect anything. And I was like, savage. 
Okay, it's kind of a boring title. There's a million things called Savage. So if you're looking for this, make sure it has Olivier Gruner in it. And it's from 1996. And then it started, and we'll get to all of that, actually. Let me just say the synopsis. After his family is murdered and he's left for dead, a farmer awakens in the desert and finds himself transformed into a savage warrior with all the powers and skills of the ancient gods. This is rentable on Amazon, and it looks great. I don't know why it looks this good, but it really does. You can also find it for free on YouTube with commercials. It looks okay. <laughs> it stars Olivier Gruner, Jennifer Grant. It's directed by Avi Nesher, who did Automatic, Mercenary, Mars, all with OG. Paola Toka's in this, who is also in one of my favorite Godfrey Ho movies, Clash the Ninjas. He's the Inquisitor later on. He was in Silver Dragon Ninja, Ninja Dragon, Bloodsport, and Death Warrant, just to name some of his action creds. The movie starts off with amazing credits and laser pyramids spiraling all over the place. I was like, whoa, okay, this is going to go somewhere. And then we're instantly on a farm. I got to say, Olivia Grenier is a very strange looking simple farmer, I would say. He's like, yes, super cut. That whole opening after the laser pyramids just irked me so much because you had that beautiful blonde American singing Amazing Grace. You yeah. had this idyllic family life and I'm sitting there going, you're going to die. It's like, this is like textbook setting up the perfect life. He needs nothing. There is about to be a lot of pain and destruction brought upon this man. (laughs) Yes. And she is. She's singing Amazing Grace. They sit down for dinner. His child is acting like they're in a different movie. And then he gets shot through the hand. It rules. And then his family's slaughtered. Next, he wakes up in a psychiatric hospital. He's been there for two years. He's suffering from bad depression, they said. And then Amazing Grace comes on the TV. So he snaps, breaks out a window and escapes. And then the laser pyramids appear on the TV where I was like, wait, what is what is happening here? It's very weird. I've now watched this movie three times. So he wanders the desert for some time until he passes out in a cave. And then he notices these cave paintings all over the walls and pieces together that there's healing leaves. So he puts them on his feet and he's instantly healed. At which point I was like, this may be the weirdest Olivier Grunier movie I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I was really confused by the cave paintings because so the television with the pyramids, I kind of got that. I was like, okay, there's an there's an outside force guiding him. Uh-huh. You could kind of hear the voice of his wife very, very faintly. Like I was watching it with headphones, thankfully, and we'll get to why in a minute. And yeah, when he gets into the cave, I was like, the cave paintings is basically what happened to him, but yeah. in cave times. And I'm Was that by design? And then I'm like, also, why is E.T. in one of the cave paintings? (laughs) He just kind of doesn't acknowledge that. And then you're (laughs) like, okay, I guess that'll make sense. And then he goes out hunting a rabbit with a spear. And I just thought, you haven't been transported back to in time, dude. I don't know. You know, it's just like, what's going on? (laughs) It's so crazy. He eats some ants and then he spears a rabbit. It's so bizarre. And then he falls asleep and wakes up in smoke and there's green laser lights and he hears voices that tell him to seek vengeance, at which point I was completely all in on this movie. We get special aliens with human corneas, which is very bizarre. Yeah, the effect of that white light, I thought was really good. And then the eyes appeared and I was like, oh dear. (laughs) It's real weird. And then they morph into his wife, who we've seen, and then they morph into the villain who we haven't seen yet, which is very strange. Yeah, I thought that was weird. (laughs) It's so weird because we're like, 
are we supposed to know who that guy? Okay. And then he morphs into a Cro-Magnon man, which is very strange. It's a very weird effect. And then he crawls around nude and cuts his chest with a rock, as you do. Yeah. All of that really confused me because, I mean, naturally it would. But my brain immediately thought, well, we've not met this guy before that they're saying killed his wife. I was actually waiting for the twist that he didn't and that they were just using him as a weapon and that they wanted him dead for whatever reason. But also, like you say, when you see that transformation and he gets that prehistoric suit, I'm going, this is Lou Ferrigno's Hulk all over again. Oh, yeah. It's so clearly inspired by the TV Hulk. But as the film went on, um, it's still very Hulk, but it's also got a lot of Giver in it. You know, Mm -hmm. those two, especially like the Giver element got stronger as it went on. But I just thought, yeah. The transformation sequence, the powers, he's very Hulk. That's a really good point. Next, we see a cop playing a virtual reality game called Rump Wrangler, where you just grope women's butts. That's the game. Yeah, well, I think I can safely say that this entire film is not something that would get made today. (laughs) Yes, that is very correct. (laughs) They run over naked Olivier, and the cop in the car is Michael Kudlitz from Gross Point Blank, Walking Dead, and the river runs through it. Olivier smells really bad, so they call him Goat Boy, which is very funny. He gets dropped off at the station and meets Jennifer Grant. We get a quick virtual reality peak of a King Kong game someone's playing, which is... Well, I thought that that was a 3D hologram on the side of the Titan building. Oh, is that what it's supposed to be? Because I actually made a note that like that's actually pretty cool, because I don't think they really existed back then, but now they do. Right. You know, it's like, that's kind of weird. I love it when films do that and they accurately predict something by sheer luck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so funny. Sam McMurray is in this movie. He's from Ari- Raising Arizona and Adam's Family Values. Cario Salem is our bad dude in the movie. He was in Killing Zoe. Not a lot of movies, but he also wrote The Score, which is a Robert De Niro movie from early 2000s. Olivier's in a holding cell. They send in three guys to kill him. He bites one on the throat and then leaps into the rafters, which is the first time we're like, oh, he's got like super jumping powers. That's really great. The writing is really good in this movie where the villain says, up until now, he was my worst nightmare. And now he's yours. Now he's yours. (laughs) (laughs) I will say, though, that there is a scene in between all of that that you kind of glazed over. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The introduction of Mary Belloc. Uh, played by Kristen Minter and it is the scene where I was very happy that I had decided to put my headphones on (laughs) because the introduction to her character is a full naked sex scene and I was like oh god I am so glad that I decided to move away from the open windows that I have right right next to me when I started watching this. (laughs) Yeah I did forget about that part they are actually having sex in the scene and it's very loud it's very vocal. Yes, but I actually think it was a really good scene because it told you everything you needed to know about her character. Yeah. She likes having sex. She likes being in control. And when the guy tries to F with her, she breaks his nose and tells him to go away. And it's like, I like this character. I'm annoyed she's going to be a villain, but I kind of like this character. And I continue to like her all the way through. Yeah, I agree. It does pin her character very quickly. I do like when she tells the guy not to bleed on her sheets after she hits him with the phone. (laughs) (laughs) Next, we get an awesome scene where they're going to get Olivier, but he's got long hair, so they have to modify the picture so he has short hair. It's very cool. And then we get a traffic sign in a pyramid shape that lights up, at which point I was like, there's a lot of extra stuff happening in this action movie that doesn't need to be happening, but I love that it's all there. Yeah, I like that as well. And obviously he then gets basically exposition 
from the televisions that are in the store of what exactly it is he needs to do. And yeah. again, I really liked that aspect of it because at that point, you're still not sure if you can trust the magic voices in his head. Right. And I think a lot of properties have used that, you know, Deadpool in his comics quite famously used to get his tasks from the television. Even if he tried to change the channels, it would still form a sentence. And I loved that. And the fact that this film did that essentially was just like, okay, you have my attention. Yeah. It's not just a, it is a dumb action film because there's no way you can call this plot intelligent, but <laughs> it's quite clever how they deliver this dumb action plot. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I miss this in movies, this person stopping outside of a store and seeing nine televisions stacked up. We just don't have this anymore. It's just not a, nobody goes to stores, I guess. But it's just one of my favorite little plot devices that they have. And we also get a commercial for the Electric Kitchen, which is this place he goes to later on in the film, Electronic Kitchen. Yes. We then see a newsstand that has a virtual reality booth. Uh, the dude operating this is Vince Lozano, who's Jacoby in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Yes, he is. It's very cool to see him in this in a very early role. Olivier plays this for free, so I don't know quite how these games make money until the bikers show up and then he destroys all of the bikers in an amazing fight. I love that he's a really good fighter. And in this movie, they have him mostly leaping and growling and slapping people. <laughs> yes. Like, no, so I, I also love that they made like a nature boy references and they, yeah. they were making all these cool references. And I made the similar note that all the fight scenes are really easy to watch. They make sense. They're clear. They don't try and over edit it. They don't try and do lots of quick cuts, but it's not martial arts. He right. is, like you say, he's doing a lot of acrobatics. He's doing a lot of bar work a lot yep. of the time. He finds something to grab onto like <laughs> yeah. a monkey. But when he does throw people, when he does smack him in the face, he, he hurts and he deals a lot of damage. The other thing I noticed is when he was going into that store, he stood next to a comic book stand um, and all the comics on the stand were ones that were of a similar theme. Like you had Valiant Comics, Eternal Warrior. I saw a Savage Land comic. It was basically all of the sort of comics that you could kind of argue that this story was inspired by. I noticed as the film went on, there are a lot of comic book references yeah. from the dialogue. Some people were calling him Thor. Other people were making references to DC. I was like, if that was made now, people would be like, oh, they're just trying to give you nostalgia bait or it's fan service. It's like, no, this sort of stuff has always been in films. It's just more noticeable now because you actually understand the reference. Right. <laughs> That's so true. There was way less people that would have got this or those references at least. Then he heads to the electric kitchen, which rules. It's got 90s techno breakbeat music and neon everywhere. Bad dudes show up and just shoot everybody. Just indiscriminate murder is what happens in this scene. He's leaping and growling, death slapping people. He kills Herschel Sparber, who's awesome. He's from the birdcage, Osmosis Jones in the Goofy movie. And then Olivier escapes and the bad dudes capture the cop ladies. Basically everything that needed to happen in the electronic kitchen. He also changes his clothes. So now he looks like a Terminator ripoff, which That's I quite right. liked. Yeah, I was a big fan of this. He's got the leather jacket. This scene blew my mind. Okay, so this movie just continually has things happen where I was just like, okay, you've got my interest. All right. And I never got bored. And the next thing that happens, he leaps without explanation from the top of one building oh, yeah. <laughs> to another, lands it in a forward roll silently over two men with rifles and disappears into a vent. And it is not addressed, not set up. It just happens. And I was like, this thing has guts. I, I like what it's doing. It's so weird. No explanation. Yeah. I mean, the fight scene in the nightclub 
or whatever, the electric kitchen, whatever it was. It looked like an internet cafe, but for dark, seedy people where yeah. the, all the staff are very hot women dressed in very tight clothes. And it was like, I don't know what world this is, but <laughs> this isn't the 90s I remember. But anyway, that aside, yeah, I really liked that fight. The two actors, it had impact, which is something that I think a lot of modern day fight sequences can lack even though it might not be the most graceful looking when they hit each other when they got smashed into walls when they went flying through glass you felt it and yeah. they were in pain and there was actually some kind of reason for you to get invested in both characters i also love the fact that one of the other guys called him skeletor because again the references <laughs> yeah. to stuff just made me <laughs> chuckle and as for the jumping off the building i was in stitches for that because as much as I think the effects in this film actually hold up really well, yeah, that is not one of them. No, it's real <laughs> weird too when he's like flailing and you're like, wait, is he going from that building to, oh, he is. Okay, wow. I don't know why that had to happen, but there it is. And then he somehow lands with no impact. So I guess one of his superpowers is shock absorption, you know? Well, yeah, you know, if we know anything about cave people, it's that they were silent, long jumping creatures, I guess. Yeah, they were the perfect assassins. Brute force, never really a thing. Right. <laughs> now we're in Titan headquarters. There's laser scans, a giant alien tomb, sarcophagus thing. We learn that the cavemen are aliens in a cyber universe or something to that effect. And I think we'll drop in that explanation right here. In these pictographs? Symbol cryptography. Like the fraternal crypt used by the Rosicrucians and the Freemasons. Yes, and it's binary. The cryptographs translate to key numbers, which translate to cybertext. But Cro-Magnon? Eden, Miss Bella. Mythical Eden. All the Earth's early cultures, Hebrew, Phoenician, Greek, Goth, Druid, Sioux Indian, Aztec, Scandinavian, they all share the legend of an extraordinary civilization, unsurpassed in spiritual and creative genius, which vanished in a cataclysm, a deluge, if you will. But that's myth. Why would every culture come up with the same myth? Pyramids, continents apart, in Egypt and South America that bear identical architectural features. You don't honestly believe that a primitive people could construct technological marvels like Easter Island and Stonehenge out of sheer primitive inspiration. Do you consider this? Geologists estimate the end of the last ice age, the one that parted the Straits of Gibraltar and filled the Mediterranean basin at around the same time as Plato and Herodotus approximated the disappearance of Atlantis. Another coincidence? Read the data. The virtual reality rigs the Titan cells are nothing but a crude version of this technology. Don't you see? The ancient ones created a virtual universe, an infinite paradise in cyberspace. Olivier enters and we have our standoff until Olivier just disappears. It's a very bizarre sequence that happens. And next, the uh, cop lady's tied to a weight bench and Olivier shows up in this awesome fight sequence. This is the one that has Paco that I mentioned earlier. They're just shooting machine guns out of a window. There's a part where he drops through the ceiling like Nemesis style almost. Mm. It's pretty awesome. I like this sequence a lot. And then, of course, Paco explodes and they escape because they've got to get to the end. Yeah, no, I really like that scene as well. Like you say, they obliterate her apartment before yes. they blow it up. People's heads get literally put through walls. All of the furniture is just used as a playground. Paco actually has some nice roundhouse kicks that he throws out that just yeah. don't connect. But it was yeah. nice to 
have that variety in his opposition. It wasn't just fighting big, muscular dudes that looked like him. Some of the people had different skills. Mm -hmm. I also liked it because I wasn't worried. That's the wrong way of putting it. But I, I could see how some people might watch it now and go, the cop lady in inverted commas was just kind of there to be the damsel in distress. But she gets herself out of how she's tied yeah. to the weight bench when she's not being watched. Not only does she get out of that, but she's also like, yeah, there's a bomb in that suitcase. Get the hell out. Right. <laughs> and I like the fact that they did that because back in 96, that wasn't always a guarantee. A lot of films would have been quite happy to just have her sit there and yeah. struggle for the audience, you know? Yeah, or have her be topless the whole time too. Just completely. Yeah, up. well, they kind of had that covered with Miss Bella. I mean, right. she just, it was sexuality in every scene she's in. There is no mistaking why she's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's very true. They arrive in the lab and the alien husk ship is gone. The cops show up and there's some fighting and then hell yeah, car chase. This movie has it all. Yeah, that car chase came out of nowhere. I really liked that. I was sad though, because the entire police force essentially was corrupt. Yes. And it was not a couple people. Everyone is corrupt and, and they all know it, except for this one police lady. <laughs> right, she's the only person. Yeah, but the car chase that followed that, I thought was really good. And I was surprised at how much they were able to get done, considering this would have been a smaller budget movie. Mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting it at all. I mean, there's a lot of cars in one frame. There's a lot of destruction of the cars. There's a helicopter sort of following them. I did have to laugh out loud, though, when the helicopter lost them because yeah. they break under a bridge. And I was like, really? You can't figure out what happened there? <laughs> yeah. I just watched Ambulance, the new Michael Bay movie, and I'm pretty sure part of that plot is all about hiding underneath an overpass as well. So maybe that's the Achilles tendon to helicopters. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> Oh, I can't see what's directly below me. It's gone now. Next, they're in a cave and Manny, the bad guy, is levitating inside the alien seed thing while he's talking. Again, it's one of those visual things where I was like, yeah, I, I love all of this. This is every single choice is at least the interesting choice to make. Sometimes you'll watch a movie like even Future Zone or Future World where it's just lull. It just the gas runs out and you're kind of like, OK, get on to the next thing. And I feel like yeah. the one thing this movie does so well is every single thing, there's something interesting happening. And so there's never a moment, even when they're driving in the car in a moment and sort of bonding in a way, it's still interesting. There's still interesting character development that's happening. and You're not waiting for the next totally insane thing to happen. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I liked the bonding that they went through in the car. Although that kind of annoyed me afterwards, but I also liked that we got to see bonding of the villains between yeah. two hackers and the fact that all the science stuff and all the exposition of what it was they were trying to achieve, it didn't feel boring. It didn't feel like you didn't care. You cared about both sides of what was going on because this was such a crazy storyline that you were like, what <laughs> is going on? Yeah. Putting your soul into a digital afterlife is the diet soda of immortality and it's just one of those things that has been done before but the <clears> way this film presents it visually is just wtf and that's yeah. what kind of makes it special I... when they bonded in the car though the only thing that annoyed me is after she finds out who he is and like what happened to him because when she's filling up with gas that guy recognizes him it kind of annoyed me that she then just decided to be like oh I don't know if I can trust you. And how do I know you're not just listening to the radio voices? And it's like, well, he didn't invent the people that kidnapped you and tied you up in your own house and then yeah. blew it up. And he didn't invent the people that tried to kill you 
or the corrupt cops that were just chasing you. Yeah. It's blatantly obvious that he's not <laughs> hallucinating it. You've lived it. <laughs> Maybe she thinks she's hallucinating it. It's hard to well, see. Yeah, that's possible. <laughs> Next, there's some really cool stop motion animation integrated into the scene while we're in the cave. There's some cool effects stuff that happens in this movie that is very, very creative for the amount of budget that they had. Olivier and the cop lady are infiltrating. We get these awesome tracking shots. There's certain points in this movie where I realize the camera work and things that are going on in it, and it shocks me. I don't know what the budget was exactly, but there's a lot of care that went into how this film is shot, how it looks, the camera movements. It just blew my mind. It's one thing to find a movie where a guy gets possessed by a caveman and (laughs) seeks revenge for the murder of his farmer family. And it's another thing to actually find it a watchable film and enjoyable. So I was very shocked. We get shootouts, more jump slap deaths. We get fire spewing out of crevices in the floor and it's actual fire. It's not just a bad effect. Like now it'd be all CG. Um, Bad dude gets strapped into the seed and triggers the laser triangles. The aliens digitize. It's a wild end. A lady bursts into flames and the bad dude's face melts off into a CG skull. Oh, yeah. Do you know what? The way that lady disintegrates and melts, I thought was actually really well done. And then I think somebody got excited at how good of a job that they did. And they were like, we can do that, but slower and really show all the details for him. (laughs) And then at some point, I think they went, ah, we might have overestimated our abilities with this one. But to answer your question, um, according to IMDb, the budget was five million ish. That's a decent budget. Yeah, especially for 96, because obviously it would have been a straight to VHS release, but that was during the time period when a lot of these action films, they had decent budgets and some of them were lucky enough to even be outperforming their big theatrical released cousins mm. as uh, Don Wilson and Cynthia Rothrock love to make sure everybody knows that they <laughs> outsold uh, some of those big films for a while. <laughs> yeah. I wish we were still getting Cynthia Rothrock movies personally. Then the aliens blow up. Olivier's healed. She receives a message that he's alive. Then we see him standing on top of the volcano mountain and we get a hawk sound and then it ends. And I was like, this movie rules. Yeah, I I really like the end because they gave him a choice of whether or not he wanted to stay the savage or they could turn him back to what he was. But you know, if he stayed the savage, then he kind of has to use his powers to go and help other people that don't have them and he chose to do that and i was like yeah this is just a superhero origin story it's a really weird superhero it feels like it came out of pulp fiction Mm. or one of the really weird independent labels and i love that about it because you don't get stuff like this anymore for a multitude of reasons i mean i don't even know if you tried to make this now what age rating they would give it for starters (laughs) that's true yeah there is some stuff that would have been on the cutting room floor i think for sure Yeah, but then if you cut it out, it wouldn't be such a weird and wonderful film. Right. Yeah, the culmination of all these strange pieces together and also a good cast. I mean, all the faces I was like, oh, wait, so-and-so that was in, it's a packed cast. Yeah, yeah, no, everyone except the lead villain. I'll be honest, I I didn't recognize him, but as you said, he he did other stuff. Yeah. Everybody else I knew from other stuff. I mean, the two hench people, for want of a better phrase, Sam McMurray and Miss Bella, both of them have been in so many films that I've seen that when I, I was like, I can't believe they're in this, you know, it's just yeah. like you say, you see these faces and you go, oh, wow, wasn't expecting to see you. It feels like this was trying to be something bigger 
than mm. maybe it actually ended up being. Yeah, that's what drove me to watch Mercenary because then I looked at that cast and I was like, look at this amazing cast. This guy, Avi, he was working under a pseudonym, I think for this, at least some of what I saw on the internet, but he has a way of getting great casts. And so I don't know if that's because the decent budget or what, but it makes a difference because everyone's really good in it. Which brings us to just final thoughts. Anything last that you want to say about Savage from 1996? I would say that considering I'd never heard of this film, I'm very happy that I watched it. It's not going to blow your mind, or it might. It depends. <laughs> it might. It might. <laughs> not for the reasons that you might be expecting. Right. I was totally taken by surprise by this. I think if you haven't seen it, we have just kind of told you the plot. But trust me, it's still worth watching. It yeah. is just that crazy. And like you said, Olivia Grunier has a lot of crazy films to his name. But Savage might just take the cake for being the most out there. And there isn't a bad actor in the group. And in these sorts of films, that is quite surprising. There's usually the main couple of actors are usually pretty good. And then it's varying results for the rest of the cast. But I don't think anyone's at fault here. And it's got good fight scenes and pretty decent effects considering the year it released. So what's not to love? It annoys me that it's so hard to get hold of and find. It just, I mean... I'd have never have heard of it otherwise, you know, it just doesn't seem to exist anywhere. Yeah, I was completely shocked when I came across it because normally it's like, you know, most of his work or you've come across it. If you know action, you're like, oh, sure, Nemesis. I mean, you know these films, but to come across one that I'd never heard of and then watch it and be like, wait, why aren't people talking about this? This is wild. Yeah. So glad that we were able to have that conversation today. I think some of the problem, it boils down to perception of it's an old 90s film. It's not big budget. It has a really weird premise. So therefore it must be bad. It's the sort of film that I think people will put on to laugh at. Like, especially if you just saw the scene where he turns into the savage, for example, you might be like, oh, this is some low budget horror film, for example. And it's like, no, it's a very, very small element of it. It's part sci-fi it's part action there's a minuscule amount of horror depending on how much you think about it it's not that sort of thing it has that weird olivia gruner taste and clearly this is the director's taste as well of just being wacky and it's really hard to compare it to anything there are things i can compare it to guy of a dark hero and lou ferrigno's hulk as i said but they're not direct comparisons it is its own beast to be clever there was air quotes there Scott Wiley, host of Action Addicts Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today and having this conversation. Thank you for asking me. I had a great time. Awesome. Action Addicts Podcast on Twitter, I'm guessing. It's just... Yes, it's annoyingly Addicts Action because somebody else took Action (laughs) Addicts and then is doing nothing with it and it doesn't post. So I had to flip it around i'm not on anything else as the podcast currently i might be changing that soon but at the moment i'm just on twitter because that seems to be where most of the action fans are i have this very very nice community of people that we refer to as action twitter that i'm sure you're familiar with yeah but yeah a lot of very supportive podcasters writers journalists fans of action films it's just a really nice place to be fantastic so be sure and find scott there as always i'm dirk marshall and this has been vhs presents new releases and late returns we